Barnes FM podcast. This is Scott Kesterson, and tonight you're listening to a conversation with Pastor Travis Graham. This war is real. Fighting is everything. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Tempt not the righteous man to draw his sword. Conviction, righteousness, ruthlessness. To understand tolerance, you have to understand the line of intolerance. War is the teacher, soldiers are the students. They become the bards of war. Good evening, patriots. And tonight is Wednesday, August 17th in the year 2022. And we've got a great conversation tonight with Pastor Travis Graham. Obviously, a good friend of mine, he was the one who mentored me into this wonderful path of talking Jesus all day. And as well, just a great pastor overall in, in, in his small church in Thomaston. We're going to talk a lot about that in just a really personal way tonight. Before we begin, this weekend is the big film release of a Selection Code. It's going to be a live streamed by on Frank speech. And it looks like we're going to be doing some live streaming as well from the event space. And I'll give you more details on that as we get a little bit closer, but look for that because it sounds like we're going to be live streaming all day long. We're going to be represented there at Springfield. So that's going to be good. You're going to enjoy it. And we're going to try to get as many interviews of the people that are there. It's quite an event. So this is a big deal. And of course, this is sponsored by my pillow and Mike Lindell's great work to continue to to encourage and to awaken patriots to the realities of what happened in the election. Now that said, one of the great ways that we can continue to support my pillow and the great work that that Mike Lindell's doing to fight for this country is support my pillows purchases with your Bards code B A R D S. So if you head on over to mypillow.com and you're going to check out some incredible products, sheets and pillows and mattresses and all these things that are there you can't possibly live without. Use your promo code BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, for the best savings. And if you want to also jump over to mystore.com forward slash BARDS and check out my coffee, those two things. You've got pillows at mypillow.com and sheets at mypillow.com and mattresses and towel sets and all those things that you can't possibly live without. But then you get that morning wake up with great coffee, then you're going to jump over to my, mystore.com forward slash Bards, and you're going to click on the My Coffee logo there, and it's going to give you a great opportunity to buy coffee as well. So two great places. Mike is building out an alternative to Amazon, which I greatly appreciate, and it's that's the beginning of, of the My Store part, and then the My Pillow part has is, is been there all along, and it's because of your purchases that makes all of these amazing things happen. Selection Code is one of them. He's funded that. It's with Laura Logan. This is a, a really great film, and I'm looking forward to being able to talk about it as, as the weekend goes on. So, again, check it out, mypillow.com forward slash bards and mystore.com forward slash bards. So, Patriots, this is a pretty lengthy interview tonight. It's a little bit over an hour, but I think you're going to enjoy it. It's a great conversation with Pastor Travis Graham. So, without further ado, let's introduce Pastor Travis Graham. Well, Patriots, I'm really honored today, again, to have Pastor Travis Graham on, 
And as you know, not only is he a great friend of mine, he was my mentor to Christ, and I'm always honored to have him on the show. So, Travis, how are you? And it is, Scott, it is great to be back uh, speaking to you and to the Barge Nation. Uh, I'm doing great. We're, uh, Graham family is trucking right along, just started school back with all the kids. We've got football going on uh, and just uh, great things going on here at the church. So it's it's good to be back with y'all. At the beginning, you and I were having this chat, and I kind of want to pick it up here a little bit and just talking a lot about your ministry in a small town because you're in kind of a very traditional American town. And and if people don't know Thomaston, as I came to know Thomaston for two years, it's got all the challenges of other cities of our nation, but it equally has so many of the old values that we see disappearing. And you're in a really unique place there in a small country church. And you were just talking about what that means to you as well. So I'm just gonna let you talk a little bit about it. Sure. Yeah. I mean, Thomaston is, it's, it is, um, I think the word is endemic of a lot of, a lot of rural Georgia. I mean, uh, Thomaston, we love Thomaston. Let me just say that we moved here about six and a half years ago from Athens, which is where the university of Georgia is. So it has everything you could ever want. And some of the things you never want to, to be a part of. So it has both ends of the spectrum. Uh, Thomaston on the other hand is, is rule. We have, you know, Walmart, we just got a Chick-fil-A and a Longhorns. So we're stepping up in the world. Uh, but, um, it is the, the, what I love about Thomaston the most, and this may sound very pastorish, but I don't mean it that way. It's truly the people. Um, one of the things we noted when we first moved here, and this has been true ever since we moved here and been so true of our church people here at Valley Grove, is that everyone was willing to help. When we moved here, we remodeled our house and we went to Home Depot too many times. And every time we went, somebody was there. Hey, can I help you? Hey, can I help you? What do you need? No, you don't need that. You need this piece over here. Don't get that part. A lot of them break, get this one over here. And that has so been true of, of our experience in, in a rural community, in a smaller church, our church is uh, under a hundred. And, but man, we've got some great people. Uh, And it's been interesting to see um, how people in a small community, not only just relate to one another, but how um, how they live and work. So we've got several people who are small business owners and they're out there grinding it every day and have been super successful. We've got uh, people who uh, unfortunately had to had to find new careers after the main um, economic engine, which was uh, textile mills closed down in the 90s. So we had people you know, they were getting ready to retire. They had to go back to school to learn a new skill or had to change careers. Um, we've got ranchers, guys who have cows and who that, that's their that's their deal. And I never knew I didn't know so much about cows until we moved here. I just thought you threw them out there and let them go. And that is not the case. Um, but I would say probably personally for me, um, one of the things that I love about ministering here is first, uh, the church allows me to be me. And so I don't have to put on this persona of someone that I'm not. I don't try to have to be, you know, the country club guy because that's definitely not me. It's cool if somebody is. that That's that's cool. I'm not saying, but that's not me. I'm just, I grew up in the country. We hunted, we fished, you know, we cleaned our own beer and cleaned our fish and cut trees down with chainsaws and fixed tractors. And like I was telling you before, I held the light many a time for my dad working on his old Ford Ranger that I eventually uh, drove. 
And so, uh, I, and I still do a lot of that today. And so we've got a lot of people in our community uh, who do those things as well. They fix their own tractors. They work on their cars. They, you know, plant trees. They have a garden. They raise chickens. And so um, I just enjoy sharing those experiences with the people in our in our community too. Um, Cause that's, that's not only just the way that, that uh, I was raised uh, in our family and, and my wife, the same way Holly, she was raised much the same way. Uh, but that's kind of the way we've chosen to be uh, as our family is, is, is try to dabble in a few, a few things here and there um, that you may not find in the city. And, and look, as I said, I love visiting Atlanta. I'm glad I don't live in Atlanta. Some people love the city and they, their calling is to be Jesus in the center of Atlanta. And I love those people and I pray for them every day uh, uh, as we pray. But man, I don't know if I can fight the traffic in there. And so I love Thomaston and it's, it's, it's unique. There are some challenges here for sure. Uh, but man, we've had a, an amazing six and a half years so far and look forward to many more uh, in the future. Obviously I'm, I'm looking at your office through the zoom call here, which they're not going to see on the podcast, but Patriots, let me tell you this. I don't think you're going to find many pastors when you walk into their office that have all of their trophies from their hunts around the walls. It's like I tell Travis all the time, if you have any question about what it means coming to Jesus, he'll just point up there and say, you see that deer right there? But anyway, I'm just kidding. Travis, talk a little bit about that because I do love that, and I, I really do. We've talked a lot about that before. Your your office is very you, and it, it doesn't try to be sterile or, or an expectation sure. of what it should be, you know? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I've got, uh, let me turn around here. I've got two wood ducks, uh, a full, uh, shoulder mounted deer, two skull caps. I've got a full stuffed turkey and a couple of turkey fans. The only thing I'm missing is a fish. So I need a, I need a big fish. Um, I also had, um, I don't have it right now cause my son's Bart. I have my old football helmet. Uh, and I know some people are going to like lose their minds, but I went to Warner Robins high school and our mascot was the demons. Uh, so, Oh no. Uh, but, uh, so anyway, I had my helmet on the wall. It's got all the stars, none of that sissy football. They like to play now where you can't hit nobody. You know, I had a lot of helmet, the helmet scars on there. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's just, it's, it, it you know, I mean, it, it, it's me. It's, it's, I don't try to, one of my goals in life, uh, it's not really a state. It's just kind of, I don't have it written down anywhere or post anywhere, but, um, my goal in life is to be the same person at the church as I am in the street or on the football field or at Walmart or at Home Depot. Like what really got me was when I worked with people who they were one way on Sunday morning and they were somebody else throughout the rest of the week. And that just that didn't sit well with me. And so very early in life and especially very early in ministry, uh, I kind of made up my mind that I was going to be the same wherever I was, because I never wanted to get into the point, get into um, the place where somebody accused me of, well, you were this way at church, but you weren't that way on Monday morning. Now, of course, out on the football field, I coached my, I've coached my two sons. Um, they're 11 and seven. I've coached both of them for several years now in football and, you know, be a little more, a little more loud, a little more vocal, especially when the referee blows a call that's, quite obvious he blew the call i mean i get that loud on sunday mornings but uh you know i try to be you know just as loving and caring with those this year i'm coaching seven-year-olds seven-year-old boys as i am with the 87 year old lady at church you know so 
I know you well enough. I mean, that's part of your ministry. I think that's what makes it so powerful is that you're not distinguishing between church ministry and life. You're bringing it into the community. Yeah, totally. I mean, ministry happens really. I mean, just realistically, ministry happens just as much on Monday, Tuesday and Thursday when I'm coaching football as it does on Sunday morning, because you don't know where those kids are. They may, they may not go to church. They may not have heard of Jesus, but just loosely. And more than that, they may have never heard any adult male tell them, I love you. Uh, that's so, or heard that heard an adult male tell them, I want what's best for you. And the reason I'm hard on you is not because I'm being a jerk but because I know you can do better than this and I want what's best for you. And so, uh, you know, my goal is if we win games, nobody wants to win more than I do. Nobody on the team wants to win more than I do. That's why they keep score. Just, I mean, let's be honest. So if we win though, that's, that's the icing on the cake for me because my goal is to teach these kids football, but more importantly, to give them skills to be a better man in the future. And that's some of the similar goals that we have at church. Now it takes a little bit different context. I'm obviously not preaching a sermon out on the football field. Um, but man, I want the same thing for my people, for my, for my senior adults and my median-aged adults and the teenagers and kids that come here. That's the goal. We want them to love Jesus and be great citizens. That's kind of one of our personal things for our family. We've told our two boys over and over again, like, at the end of the day, we want to teach you to love Jesus, love the church, and be productive citizens in the world. And we feel like, me and my wife Holly, we feel like if we can do those three things— then we've then we've succeeded as parents. Now, obviously, some days it's a struggle, um, but those are our three goals. Um, you know, whether they end up being you know NASA scientists or you know welders or teachers or pastors or whatever, that to me is irrelevant. It's whatever they want to do. But if they love Jesus and they love the church and they're committed to both of those and they're great citizens in the community and not leeches, then I feel like we've done a good job. And I want the same thing for that out on the field. And so ministry for me happens uh, wherever you go. And so I, I really, um, when I was younger, when I was coming up, there was kind of this um, differentiation between um, pastor ministry and like every day on the street ministry. And it was almost as if pastor ministry was elevated above every day on the street ministry. And, and I just, that's not, that's not my style. That's not what we kind of try to get across here. Because everybody, regardless of our vocational calling in life, everybody is called to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus. If you believe in Jesus and you have a personal relationship with Jesus, then you're called to be a minister of the gospel, a re his representative on earth. And so we need we need representatives for Jesus in industry and in business leaders in ed the educational field. Uh, my wife's a teacher, just 22 kids in her classroom this year. 22 four-year-olds, I would lose my mind, 22 four-year-olds. And you know what? She needs to be Jesus to those 22 four-year-olds every day, every day. We need, we need uh, ministry leaders in engineering and technology and in science and in all of these areas in between because there are people in those areas who may not have an accurate view of Jesus. 
they may have just, you know, picked up some rando view of who Jesus is and they've never read the Bible. And so if we don't have ministry leaders, if we're not empowering those uh, people in our churches or in our faith communities to, to go out and to be ministers on the street every day, then, then we're really, we're not, we will never be able to f- fully carry out the mission of Jesus as much as we could. I'll put it that way. Cause I'm just one guy in a, you know, one guy and I have a certain group of people that I'll interact with. And Scott, you have another group of people that you interact with. And so if we all view our circles of influences as mission fields or ministry opportunities, then we can reach more people collectively together. And so, yeah. Well, you've hit on something here that I've been talking about recently. And I mean, I really love the way you put it and the idea of you're mentioning how many of these young people you're coaching may not have ever had a, a man say, I love you or I want the best for you. But that also, that that's kind of where I'm going with this is that there's a lot of these young children that don't even know what a father's like. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So yeah. when we talk about Jesus and then we talk about Christ to the father and we're talking about that relationship, that doesn't even make sense to some people because they've never had that relationship. Where do you see your role there? Because I think this is one of our biggest challenges with our youth is how many families mm. are broken. Mm. That's yeah. That's a very good, a very good, very good question. Yeah, six year every year we've been here, and every year inevitably you have a number of kids who, um, you may never see uh their their fa- their biological father or a father figure ever at practice at games nothing, and so I would say my role or the way I view my role in that situation is not to be their father because that's not my role. But my role is to accurately show them what a good male role model father figure should be doing. And um, that's kind of my that's kind of my goal so that maybe in the future one day when we or someone else have the conversation of Jesus and the father, that at least they know of one person in their life who's been a a positive male role model a father figure in their life that they can relate to. So I'll give you, and this is not anything new. Um, our church on Wednesday, we have a Wednesday morning Bible study at a le- Bible study and prayer meeting at 11. Um, and it's mainly for senior adults and retirees. We have some median age uh, people who um, their job is flexible. And so they, they kind of swing in from now from then on. But right now we're doing church history and we just got through doing Martin, looking at Martin Luther and one of Martin Luther's big struggles in life about how he, he had trouble reconciling God's grace and God's love because his father, even though he had a father, was overly, we would we would term it abusive, not physically abusive, but verbally and mentally abusive to him. And so he had the hardest time figuring out how can God the father show love if I, the only father figure I know is showing all of this. And it, it was sovereignty and grace was able to work through that, figure that out. So it's not, I mean, I was in the 1500s. So it's not a new problem. I think the problem has exponentially increased in the last two to three decades. And so, like I said, my, my role is, is not to be their father, um, but to show them what a good, healthy picture of a father figure is like, to show them love, that, hey, I love you. I expect the best from you. I expect you to show up 
at practice, at a game, and uh, give me your all. I'm going to give you everything I got. I expect you to give me everything you got as well. Um, and hopefully that will lay a foundation um, or at least give them one person in their life who who showed them what a Christ-like, Jesus-like, positive role, father figure, adult male looked like in their life. One of the things that's always stayed with me with the church and with Thomaston is the reality, the darker reality of small towns. And that is that we sat and looked at the congregation. It was stunning to me how every single person in there, whether it was directly in their family or a friend, had been touched by the ravages of drugs. And that means having lost somebody or somebody dealing with addiction, it creates a very real and very visceral reality of our world within the congregation that I, that I always respected because I think Christ takes on a much more real form when you're dealing with real issues. Talk a little bit about that in your perspective in the church, because I don't, I don't think that's entirely unique, but I will say it was very transparent in Thomaston and in Valley Grove. And it's something that I really respected because people were very open about that sort of challenges in the life and in the community. Yeah. So that was um, one of the more shocking things I think, or kind of we did not expect when we initially moved here. Um, But there is, as I alluded to earlier and you alluded to uh, the kind of dark side of small rural town. And that is, that with the lack of economic availability, many people um, have chosen to go down the road of, of, of drugs and alcoholism. Um, and so there is a significant um, influence of that type of behavior and the people who push that type of behavior here in town uh, and, in, and in the county, uh, for that as a matter of. Uh, and you are very much correct in saying that um, many people uh, in our church have been affected uh, in one way or another uh, by that plague, I guess, if we could if we could use that word uh, of drugs and, 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 and stuff like that. Um, I will say uh, one lady comes to mind whose family was um, she lost a lost a child because of it. Uh, and just to see her faith and her nearness to God even today through that experience is is just mind-blowing in some sense especially like just being real like that that was never a part of my experience growing up I didn't know anybody who did drugs till I got to high school like literally didn't know anybody nobody in my friend group nobody in my family we had a few kind of like my cousins that were kind of you know they abused alcohol but we didn't really see them at all didn't really know them so that was kind of like i didn't i didn't know what to do with all that um you know i I mean that wasn't part of my thing so moving here but and seeing someone who was directly affected by that and still the level of her faith and her commitment to pray and to listen to the father and to grow closer to jesus is something that is still today very unique and, and kind of like, all right, I, I've got the, you know, like, but at the same time, if there's one person that I need to call on and say, Hey, I need, I need somebody to pray for me about this. 
it would be that person. Not because she has some special connection with the Lord, but because she's been through the trials of life in so many ways and is yet still so faithful and dedicated to worship and to serve. I mean, like this year, I think she worked pre-K, kinder, pre-K kindergarten for VBS with like 18 five-year-olds. And I'm like, I'm not sure I want to do that for a week. And I'm the pastor, right? Like, oh, I mean, I would, but I don't know if I'm going to sign up for that. She signed up for that. And it just, to me, her heart, and and, and she's not the only one. I know this one lady I'm particularly thinking about, she's not the only one. We've got several other people who they've been through the fire, and yet they've come out the other side. And they're still worshiping Lord even more, and they're still praying, and they're still involved in the church, and they're serving, and they're still giving. And it's just, I mean, I'm I'm amazed. I'm amazed at their level of what it, it. Or maybe I should put it this way. Maybe this is a better way to say it. It it is a testament to what God can do in a person's life when they fully let over their life to him and fully let go and give him everything in their lives because at the end of the day, they don't have anybody else to turn to. And so really that's where we should all be. Um, some of us are just probably a little more hard headed than others. So <laughs> it takes a little bit longer. Well, so let me ask you this because you've presented a, a, a position that I think a lot of people will find themselves in as we go forward. We're dealing with some real challenges in our nation going forward. And there's some very real losses for many different reasons. And we don't have to get into all the politics and craziness of that. But you came into a community where you had not experienced that sort of reality of drugs. And yet, not only are you able to minister, but you're able to find the connection. That's not easy to do. So talk a little bit about that process, because that's a foreign experience to your life. And yet, you're able to come in and gain the gain the respect. Sure. I mean, you, you are that you are their pastor and in a very visceral and very personal way. Yeah. So I, I think what, what I've tried to do is be compassionate. One, listen, number two, and just be there. I mean, at the end of the day, None of our experience are exactly alike. So I try to be very careful to to say when to say and when not to say, I know how you feel. Because there's many times I said that early in ministry and I had no idea how you felt. Because I hadn't lost a spouse. I hadn't lost, I didn't have kids. You know, I still had both my parents, one of my grandparents. You know, so like, so what I've tried to do more as I've gotten older and kind of, maybe wiser, hopefully, um, is just show up, be compassionate, and listen. Because it's, it, you know, like, for example, we, I had to go to, me and my wife had to go to the hospital to, to visit somebody um, who, you know, whose parent was in, was in a bad, bad spot. And in that moment, it's, it's not about me. It's, it's not about the time I was in the hospital. Because they don't care about that. And frankly, it doesn't matter. 
in that moment, I just need to be there, listen, and be compassionate. Pat somebody on the back, pray with them, and don't care about you. Just pray for them. Pray for God's grace and mercy to cover them. And, and I mean, it's, that sounds like, oh, that's not, that's not like revolutionary or novel. But if I think back on the times in my life where I was in a difficult spot, what and what do I remember the people doing or why do I remember them being so impactful in that situation? I don't remember what they said most of the time, but I remember they were there. They prayed with me and they were they like, you know, put their arm around me and said, hey, hey, I'm, I'm here for you if you need anybody. You know, and so that's kind of the model that I try to do or I'm trying to do to do here is, is just to um, I, there's a little cliche that has, that I heard and I, I don't remember where I heard it at. Um, but the line is people don't care how much, you know, until they know how much you care. And, you know, at the end of the day, when, when you're, when you're, kid or your spouse is in the hospital they don't they don't care you know to know about the doctrines of whatever they just want you to know they just want to know you care for them and that you're there and that you're praying for them and that um that's you know you're kind of compassionate you're listening to what's going on in their life um one of the other things i would say is a great use of technology i mean like if you really want to technology text messaging in this way is phenomenal because um, it takes 10 seconds to text somebody, if that, who's going through something and just saying, hey, how can I pray for you? And then when they respond in that moment, pray for them. You know, I mean, it's it's very you can do it. They don't even have you don't have to be in the same room. You don't even have to be in the same state. But you can text them and say, hey, how can I pray for you? Hey, I know you're going through this. I was thinking about you. How can I pray for you today? I mean, just doing that, like just the times that Holly and I have been going through. So like one time Holly and I were, uh, somebody was sick or somebody, somebody ever Kurt just called and said, hey, I was just checking on y'all. How y'all doing? Man, that meant the world to me. You know, they didn't have to come over. They weren't, they weren't asking, hey, can we come over? Can we do this? Can we do that? They were just saying, hey, how, help? how can we pray for anything? And so, you know, that at the end of the day, that's, that's what we try to do for our people. It's just uh, be kind, listen, and, you know, just be there. I think I've got the name right. Mrs. Romney, I believe it was. Romy. 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 All the people, she was involved with the Sunday school for years, right? And talk a little bit about this because here is a, a, a woman that dedicated herself in Thomas, in Valley Grove to Sunday school and all the pastors that came out of that program. So I actually saw her last, I saw her Thursday, actually. Um, she's, uh, she'll never hear this. She doesn't even have a smartphone. She has a flip phone. She's, I think she's maybe 90 or 91. Weighs about 90 pounds and is a spitfire. Um, and she is a permanent resident at one of the um, assisted living homes, nursing homes here in town now. Um, she's pretty much bedridden at this time. And, uh, but I'm telling you, I love going to see her. Uh, so, yes, yeah, she taught she was involved in children's ministry for probably 50 to 60 years. 
I mean, that's may, maybe more, maybe 70. Um, and I know of at least two guys who are still pastoring today that came through her Sunday school class or Wednesday night uh, or Sunday night children's ministry class. One of the funny stories she tells, and I tell it every time because she laughs about it. Um, but she said whenever kids acted up in her class, uh, she made them stand up and pray right in the middle of class. So she would stop and be like, stand up and pray. And shockingly, they would do it. Um, no lip. They just did it. And so one of the guys, um, he's a pastor up in northeast Georgia. And she loves to tell this story because one night he was especially bad. And he had to stand up and pray six times during class. Six. And uh, she just gets a kick out of that because this one guy and now she's like lo and behold it was preacher and i'll my, my comeback to is it was all that praying he did in your class um but i to be real like um she is one of the um one of the coolest people that you'll ever meet because you would never expect her to be the person who works 60 years in ministry like if you uh, here's here's what i mean you would think the person who has the greatest impact would have the greatest platform, right? Like it would be the guy or the lady whose name's all over social media, who's the reality is social media will never know about Miss Romy. She will never be viral. She will never, you know, make Twitter headlines or be an Instagram famous person. But her impact on the kingdom, there's no, there's literally no telling the impact that she has had on the kingdom simply because she dedicated her time, her effort, effort, and her energy to teaching kids who Jesus is, how much he loves them, and what he wants to do in their lives for the rest of their lives. Um, and so there's no telling how many people she's impacted. And as we were leaving the other day, uh, Thursday, when we went and visited her, it was, it was, touching heartbreaking and awesome all wrapped up into one um she was laying in her bed and she literally and i know y'all can't see this but scott can't she was literally laying in bed because she can't get out of bed anymore and she was laying up holding her hands up and with tears in her eyes said jesus i'm ready to come home to you and then she told us she told us, me and Adam, I took our new pastor on staff uh, here, told him, she looked at both of us and she says, when you hear that I've died, know that I'm where I need to, where I want to be. And I was like, oh, like what a great testimony for someone who's done it, who's like finished. Like, you know, Paul says in one of the letters he writes, you know, I've run the race. I've, I've completed the task. I've been faithful. Like, man, what a great image of somebody who's done it. And not through, not without hardship and difficulty. Like, her life has not been the easiest. She's had tragedy and sorrow and great times and, you know, mountains and valleys all through her life. And yet, to be where she's at, she's not bitter. She's just ready to go home. 
and you know, God's not called her home yet. But when he does, there's no doubt in my mind where she'll be. And just to see her in that, to see, you know, her and to think about her life and her her ministry and and that, you know, one day she will receive the prize that awaits all of us who are in Jesus Christ. And it, it's an encouraging yet challenging for me who's decades behind her and in, in, in the journey of faith to be like, hey, that's what I need to be striving for. Is someone who's at the end of my life saying, "Hey, I've done I've done everything I can do to follow Jesus," and when you hear that I've died, you just know that I that I'm where I want to be. Like, oh man, it was great. I mean, it was it was a it was it was a great moment, a great moment. That's literally the definition of sowing seeds, isn't it? Totally. Oh, absolutely. Like like uh, I, uh the pre-show I, I mentioned the, the Carrie Underwood song, and I don't know the name of it. I'm terrible at song names. But the chorus line in the song is, uh, if you reap what you sow, what kind of garden would you grow? And man, when I heard that line, I was like, my wife was listening to the whole CD. I was like, babe, that line will preach right there. And her, her, her life is a testimony that when you sow godly seeds in the world, one day you get to reap those godly seeds. Now, the reverse is true as well. Uh, and unfortunately, we're seeing a lot of that in today's world. But. Miss Romy's life is a testament to when you sow seeds that honor God, you reap those seeds that honor God. Um, you know, as, as the parable says, 30, 60, 100 fold. And so she's a, a wonderful testament. Somebody, you know, who, again, is doesn't have the greatest platform and never did. But somebody who heaven only knows how many people her life has impacted. Well, there's two pastors. I mean, that says a lot right there. Yeah, yeah, and maybe more. I those are just two that I know of, and so there may be several more. Um, you know, so it's awesome, Travis. You have a other big role in your community, which is a lot of eyes on you, and you're married. Wonderful marriage, not without challenges, I'm sure, like all marriages have them. Um, father, sure. and um. There's a lot of eyes on you constantly, especially in a time when marriages just don't do well these days. Uh, how, how do you live your ministry through that? Let's see. There's probably several things I could say. Um, <clears throat> I would say probably the, the two biggest things that Holly and I have done, and it's I, I say done, it's not that like we're finished with them, but it's a constant process of redoing them but it's communication um and it's boundaries and so what i mean by boundaries is is this because communications i mean it's you got to talk to each other right i mean you you have to communicate with one another and some days that's going to happen more some days that's going to happen less so every day i try to ask holly how was your day like tell me because she's got she's Got 22 pre-Kers. Like there's always a there's always a story. You know, me, I'm just in the office most days. So there's like what I, I talk to the dead ducks behind me, you know, like, you know, hey, somebody, I got to talk to somebody today, or I went and ate lunch with this guy. Let me tell you what we talked about. She's got two or three stories every day. But it's it's more than just that. It's communication. Like, how are you doing in your life? What do we what do we need to work on? Uh budgeting, you know. Uh, kids, discipline, whatever. It's community, like you got to talk to each other and it, you can't just be, hey, goodbye, love you. That, I mean, it's got to be more than that. 
Um, the second thing, though, and this is the big one, is boundaries. And what I mean by boundaries is Holly, and, and this is going to be the big one, especially for guys. So this is for you, men. Um, we kind of set expectations of how we were to interact with people of the opposite sex. So, like, for me, how, how what was her expectation of how I was going to operate with with other women and the expectation for her is how are you going to operate with with other men and so and so our our goal was pretty pretty hard and fast um and it was like i'm not going to be alone with another woman like i'm not going to a lunch meeting with just me and some other lady i'm not going to ride in the car with some other lady i'm not going to be texting or whatever um i'm not going to be in great communication or in-depth communication with another lady. And it's the same way for her because what we've found just in doing ministry and living life is that normally is how it starts is one of the spouses has too much communication with someone who's not their spouse of the opposite sex. Cause that's all where it starts is communication in one form or another. And so our rule is, hey, that's not going to happen. So practically, that occurs for me in two ways. So there was one. I'll give you one example of where, like, I, 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 I'll give you an example. All right, so this is from several years ago. We had a funeral. One of our staff, uh, co-secretary staff at another church I worked at, not here at Valley Grave, at another church, her, her father died. And so all of us went to the funeral. Now, I rode over there with one of our pastors under the assumption that he was going right back to the church. Well, he wasn't. He had to go to the hospital to visit somebody. So I talked to our other pastor. I was like, hey. He's like, well, I got to go to the other hospital to visit. It was Wednesday. That was my big night. Like, I had to get stuff done. Well, the only other way other than walking all the way across town was our other secretary had a car. And I was like, well, I can't ride with her. Like, that's against the rules. So I called Holly. I said, hey, look, here's the deal. I, I mean, it was honest, laid out every situation. And I said, I, I don't have any way back. And so Holly was like, all right, here's what you do. Just get in the car with the other lady. But the moment you get in the parking lot, call me and tell me you're in the parking lot. So that's exactly what I did. I got in the car. We rode. I leaned the seat back, kind of way, you know, like I was in a low rider. So nobody would say, no, I didn't do that. I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. I thought about it, though. Uh, but anyway, and, and, and we went straight. We didn't stop. We went straight back to the church. And no joke, the minute my feet hit the parking lot floor or the cement in the parking lot, I was on the phone calling Holly and said, hey, I just want to let you know I'm back at the church. I am walking in my office or to my office right now. And And that was it. And you know what? You know what that saved? So if somebody in our church, because the church at that time was around 300 people, there's a good chance somebody could have seen me and the secretary riding down the, the road. So that way, when she got the phone call saying, hey, I saw Travis and so-and-so riding down the road, she said she could say, oh, yeah, here's why that happened. And so that was practically, you know, that that was that was one example of how, like, you, you just, you know, don't do that. Here's the other practical example of, of how I choose to safeguard that in our marriage is if I text another lady in our church, Holly's included in the text message so that she's got them. Like, you know, 
I'm not trying to, Hey, I'm coming to pick up your son. Like, like we've got several ladies that we're, uh, that are in our friend group, husbands and wives that are, who have sons that are, are friends with They're They've got boys. And so all our boys are together. So if I'm going to pick one up, I'm, you know, 99 out of, out of a hundred times, I've got all of us in the group together. Hey, coming to pick up your kid. And that way there's no room for anything. And so, um, you know, uh, make sure I say this correctly. It's it's not hard to be faithful to your wife. You just got to try. I mean, I, it sounds like cliche and like, uh, no, you just you just got to try. You got to put it. It's like anything else. You've got to put in the work. You want to be good at your profession. You got to put in work. You want to be you want to lose weight or go to the gym. You got to put in the work. You want to be able to run a mile. Well, you're not going to be able to run a mile today if you ain't ran any you got to work you got to put in the work to get up to that and it's the same way in in marriage and life um and i think christians um have probably assumed that it would just all work out because we love each other and you love jesus and i love jesus and it should just all work out we don't really have to work at it and unfortunately that's not the case like you have to work at it um and so one of the things we've tried to do, too, here's the other thing. And I know this 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 is, may not be as attainable for everybody because of where you live. And we're blessed that we live reasonably close to our both sets of parents. We can halfway 30 minutes. We can meet up. It's an hour to get to both of them. And uh, so we give the grandparents every opportunity they want to keep our kids and sometimes we ask them to do it maybe when they don't want to. <laughs> because we believe in quality time with grandparents. But also what that affords us to do is time to get away. And so uh, but we, we, are, we love both. Like We both love our, my parents, and we both love Holly's parents. And they've been great to us. And so I know that may not be everybody's situation, but anytime you can get away for a night, if you have kids and just focus on you and then make it a, make it a commitment to like, not just talk about the kids while you're eating tacos at the Mexican place. Um, something we've tried to do more. Um, I understand season of life can, can affect that, but really the two big things are communication and boundaries and whatever the boundaries are that you both agree on. And when you're communicating, Hey, here are the boundaries. Like those are the boundaries period. And like, you don't get to go rogue and just do what I do. And so that's, that's two of the things uh, with a, with a bonus third that we try to kind of try to do uh, throughout our marriage, just to make sure that we're, that we're solid and that uh, we're honoring God. Cause at the end of the day, and here's the, here's the, here's the important part. I think that that Christians need to realize is at the end of the day, there's one image that Jesus, one tangible image that Jesus plays upon to relate his love for his people and its marriage. I mean, the church is called the bride of Christ. And so if we're giving an inaccurate view of Jesus's love and relationship to the church, then that image is going to be distorted to the world. And so like one of the greatest ways that we can show Jesus to the world is the way we love each other and the way we care for each other and the way we 
communicate and the boundaries through setup and the way we respect each other. So I, one last thing and then, and then on this topic prior to, we were kind of in between ministry spots and uh, we were married. We'd been married about four years, maybe. And we were both worked at the same Chick-fil-A on the same shift. And it was like one random afternoon and this lady who worked with us and she had worked with us about three months at this time. She, she shockingly, I mean, it blew me away. I'm like, what do you mean? She said something to the effect of, I can't believe y'all can work together like this. Like I'd never be able to work with my husband. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean you wouldn't be able to work? With, I mean, like, really? Like you, you can't, you know, fry chicken together or <laughs> like paint a wall together. Like what, like, what do you mean by that? And, and she just as dead serious as, as she could be. There's no way. I don't know how, like I'm impressed y'all can work together. And I was like, well, I didn't know we had a choice. <laughs> I didn't know we could, I didn't know there was another option. Um, And, and really that's not to toot our own horns, but it's really just to, to the Lord's horn and, and what he's done in our lives and, and kind of the, I just, just do as, as far as I'm concerned, it's just doing what scripture says you ought to do. And so, like I said, it's not, it's not hard. It's just work. You got to put the work in. Well, it's interesting because I think it gets to a, a bigger challenge. I, some of this really points at a bigger challenge of what we all face, which is the sexualization and the war on that that's been going on mm. on both the men and the women. So there's a war against men right now, sure. obviously, and it's pretty ugly. And there's a hypersexualization of women on the other side of that. And we see that come out through the darker subjects like porn, which we see rise of the obsession of porn, not just in men, but also women. Mm. Mm-hmm. It, it's a, it's a real bankruptcy in the moral foundation of our nation. And I, and just get your comments on this because it, it really seems to me that what's missing in all of that is where our eyes are. Instead of putting our eyes on each other, if their eyes are on Christ and we trust in that, things are going to be aligning more naturally, yeah. if you will. And, and what you've described there is what I'm hearing as well in your process is that you and Holly aren't just looking at each other, but you're looking eyes at Christ through your relationship sure. to keep that balance. Oh, totally. So this is the way I describe it. I, I, I'm a visual, I'm a visual thinker and this is not new to me. Somebody showed this to us when we were in counseling, premarital counseling before we got married, just 20 or 15, 16, 17 years ago. So um, the guy drew a triangle. So if you imagine a triangle and the, like a, not a right triangle, right angle triangle, but just a regular triangle and the points on the the bottom are you and your spouse and the point at the top is God. And he said, if you only focus on each other, you stay the distance that the, tri- the distance you are apart and you never get any closer together because that's how far that, you know, you, you know, that's it. But his, but he said, the closer each of you grows to Christ grows toward Christ then inevitably the closer you get to one another, because it, I mean, you just think about a triangle, you know, the, 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 the lines on the side are closer at the top than they are at the bottom. And so totally like um, if, if, if your goal is each other, not Christ, then that's already shaky ground. 
so one of the questions, one of the questions we ask uh, when we do premarital counseling is why do you want to marry this person? I mean, why do you want to marry him? Because of it's because of their looks, because of their whatever. The, there's a lot of answers people give, but a lot of those answers are going to lead you down a dangerous path because we're not going to look the same at 40 as we did 20 or definitely not 75 as we did 20. And so that's going to change. Our hobbies are going to change. Um, I, I was at, a, I was at a wedding uh, several years ago and I, I didn't know this. This was, but I thought, man, uh, the guy brought up the other part. We co did a co-wedding together and the guy brought up, that every roughly, roughly every seven years, you're and some of it's faster and some of it's a little bit slower, but the average is seven. That every seven years, you're you have completely new cells in your body, like all your organs have recreated new cells, your skin, your hair, all of that has recreated your body. And he said, Most divorces happen around year seven. And I was like, That's shocking. And his whole point to the people, he's saying this during the wedding. And his whole point was, you need to make a commitment today that you're going to stay together with each other through the changes of life. And I was like, oh, that's beautiful because we're all going to change. Like, I'm not the same person I was three years ago, much less 16, 17 years ago. I, and I hope I'm not. Like, I hope I've grown. I hope I've changed. I hope I'm wiser. I hope I've learned life lessons and been able to apply them. And the same thing, Holly's not the same person. She's grown. She's changed. So if you're marrying somebody because of the way they are that day, you're going to be sorely mistaken because, you know, life's going to happen and things are going to pop up. And I hope you, they, you know, you do grow. So the point again is you've got to grow closer to Christ individually and then together. And the closer you grow toward Christ, inevitably the closer you grow toward each other. Now that doesn't preclude difficulty and hardship and situations that come up and life happening and things not going the way you intentionally plan. But as long as you are, are growing toward Christ, you're, you're inevitably going to be closer together. So I do want to add one thing, which you talked about the attack on, on men. So this, we kind of take chase a rabbit just for a second, but I think it's a good one. So um, the past four weeks, so not last Sunday, but the, prior four weeks, we did a series on moving into new territory where we looked at uh, passages primarily from the Old Testament, a few from the New Testament, where people kind of moved into a new season of ministry or a new season of life. So uh, the Exodus, Joshua, Nehemiah, Jesus, uh, and Acts, kind of, that was kind of the, the thing. And so I loved, I had never read this translation of, of Joshua. But the last lesson that we did was when you get into the new territory, so there's things you got to do to prepare to get into this new season of ministry in life. So like preparation is you've got to do internal preparation and out, out external preparation. So you got to, you got to confess sin, you got to pray and you got to center on God's word. External preparation, you got to, you got to prepare your resources. You got to gather them up. That's what the Jews did. They gathered up their stuff. Then you've got to, Scout the land, and you got to multiply the force, multiply your workforce. The last lesson that we did, and, and then the third one, just in case anybody wants it, was you got to armor up because people are going to attack you, right? So, anyway, the the last one is when you get into the land, when you get into the land, when you get into the new season of ministry, and this God tells Joshua and the people, 
this six times, or Moses and God together, tell Joshua and the people six times, you have to be strong and courageous, right? Six times, you have to be strong and courageous. This was the part that, man, I loved, absolutely loved. So if you go back and you look at the Hebrew, um, when the when when uh, the Greeks, the Greek followers of God translated the Old Testament into Greek, here's how they translated it. Have power and be a man. And I was like, oh, now that's not popular. That is not going to win any any uh, accolades from the culturists of the day. But man, what an encourage to Joshua, who was a man. For God to say, hey, it's okay to be strong and be a man. And I was like, man, that is great. And so, like, for me, like, just a practical takeaway from that is, like, if God created you as a man, there's no shame in being a man. Like, he tells Joshua, when you go into a new season of ministry, you're going to have to have strength and be a man and have courage. Like, that was just – and so I think this, like, no, we got to push back on all this unmanliness that society wants to try to put on man and say, no, 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 especially, especially us as Christians. And, and so let me clarify, because I know somebody's going to be like, well, pastor, what do you mean by that? In this context, it means to be a leader, follow God and have courage. Cause what would do he's in charge, making sure everybody's ready to go into the promised land across the Jordan river into the promised land. That's his job. His job is to be a leader, to make sure everybody is ready and everybody's prepared. It also means he needs to listen to God because he could say, I mean, in the realm of all possibility, Joshua could say, hey, I don't think we're ready yet, Lord. There's there's giants in the land. There's, I don't know if we, he could disobedient, but he doesn't. And then at the end of the day, What's the first obstacle when they get in the promised land? Jericho. I mean, they're a bunch of peasants who've been wandering around in the desert for 40 years. I mean, they're not this, you know, this is not some well-trained, like battle-hardened army. Now, yeah, they fought some battles here and there, but they've been wandering in the desert for 40 years. And yet the first city they come up on is Jericho. I mean, Joshua could have, in the realm of all possibility, cashed it in and said, hey, guys, sorry, I made a mistake. We can't do this. But what does he do? He leads them to walk around the city for six days. And then on the seventh day, to walk around seven times and holler a lot. And then as the song sang, the walls come tumbling down. And so in that passage, being a man is leading people, following God, and having courage to do what God says. I was blown away, blown away, blown away. Last night, Holly and I uh, were scrolling through TikTok, and which is questionable at best, but anyway. Uh, and this, it's, it's, the, it's where you want to see the cultural depravity of our time. You find it. Oh, it is. It is if you want to pulse on culture, watch TikTok. Now, some of it's absolutely hilarious. I mean, hilarious. This was heartbreaking. This guy's he is pastor, and that you know it's kind of a uh, 
catchy title. Re- resign from my church today or something like that. And I was like, oh, we'll watch that one. The guy goes on to say how there was a Southern Baptist church who claimed that they wanted to be um, LGBTQ, AI plus whatever, affirming, which in, in, in church world, that means we're going to go all in on LGBTQIA plus doctrine. That's what that means. So that may mean that would be blasphemy. Well, and let me be specific. That doesn't mean that people who aren't that doesn't mean people who have issues are just welcome to attend. Look, anybody can attend my church. Anybody. They are all welcome. Everybody. Don't matter your skin color, your your background, your belief, socioeconomic level, what you do and who you are. Anybody can come to our church. The door is always open to everybody because that's what Jesus did. Everybody came in. Tax collectors, religious officials, fishermen, everybody. Everybody's welcome. But what he was meaning is we are going to actively affirm that that lifestyle is okay and push that agenda. Well, the church basically kind of was like, hey, we don't want to do this anymore. And they, the church didn't quite do him right, but they fired him. The way they did it wasn't right. Every The pastor wanted to... Uh, no, no, the church said they wanted to do all this, and when he came in and started doing all of this, then they said, hey, we don't want to do this no more. And so they secretly fired him. They should have had the balls. Well, maybe I can say that. Uh, they should have had the, the, the cojones to just fire him to his face, not do it behind his back. So regardless, here was the, here was the, here was the sad part to me. Every comment, every single comment was, we, we agree with you. They did you wrong. Start a church. We'll be there tomorrow. No one, wow. no one was like, there were no comments that were, hey, I'm not sure Jesus would be okay with that. And again, let me be clear. And here's where I'm at. Jesus absolutely accepts everyone who comes to him. Here's the catch, though. He doesn't leave them the same. He doesn't leave them the same. Jesus always changes people from the inside out, changes them on the inside, and that necessitates a change in their external activity. Absolutely. Look at Joshua. Joshua, to circle it back to Joshua. Joshua goes from being just Moses' helper to leading a nation, following God through unexplainable things that like most normal people like would be like, uh, we're, we're, we're done with this follows God and then has courage to keep on going when all practical logic would say, Hey, you need to stop. And so to me, if to be a man today, to be a Christ honoring man, it's just that you got to be a leader, follow God and have courage because it's not easy, but to go back to kind of coin the taste, Use the same cliche I used about marriage. It's going to take work because culture culture don't want you to be a leader. Culture definitely don't want you to follow God, follow Jesus. 
because, well, let me rephrase that. They only want you to follow Jesus on the things they like Jesus on, you know, that whole, you know, you got to believe in him and give him your life part. Just kind of like, oh, maybe not. And then you got to have courage <laughs> because it's not because, you know, Holly and I were talking after we re- watched that little TikTok video and we were both like grieved because nobody, I mean, like, you know, just read through comments and, and, like, and I said, well, the reason nobody said anything is because they don't want to be blasted as a, you know, racist, homophobic, whatever, whatever, whatever is that you want to put up about it. And it, it takes courage to be a Christ follower, especially in today. And so to me, that's, I love that idea that the Greek translators used for, uh, uh, in the Septuagint, uh, for Joshua, because it just hit me as like, hey, no, it's it's actually okay to have strength and, and be a man, be manly. So, yeah, I think we would translate in simple terms, embrace the suck and spine up. Yeah, there you go. That's probably a more politically correct way to say it than, than what I said, but you know. <laughs> It's it's true though. I mean, I, I think that that's. I mean, you've given some great examples and the real challenges there. And I think as we kind of wrap this up, I think that is kind of your thoughts on this because when we look at, I talk a lot about this. People are very eyes on political corruption. They're very eyes on political upheaval and uh, the discord that we have in our nation. And as I talk about a lot, that's kind of like the icing on a bad cake, if you will. Um, and it's not good icing to begin with. But when you get into the real issue, I think the core issue that we all face in this nation is moral bankruptcy. And that's, to me, the real challenge mm. of discipleship mm-hmm. and where we have to be going because until we fix that, all this other stuff, it's going to, symptomatically, it's going to keep cropping up here and there until we get down to the, to right. the, to the root. That's right. Yeah. Tot- oh, yeah. I to- totally agree with you. You know, um, again, we're, we're working through we started back. We've been working through John's gospel um, to that four week break to do that one series I was mentioning. And and we're in John seven and eight right now. Um, you started John seven this week. And I mean, Jesus is 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 John is remotely clear. Uh, I mean, resolutely clear, excuse me, resolutely clear throughout the entire Bible that or through through John's gospel that if you want to follow him, you have to do what he says, <laughs> you know, and uh, Jesus is pretty clear on, you know, follow my word. I will abide in you. Follow my word. And I think the church, look, I can't expect anyone who doesn't know the Lord to be a example in the world. I can hope that they would, but if Christ followers would just not worry about being cool, not worry about trending as much, not worry about viral content as much, and would just do and be, Jesus says, we would make a last impression on people. Reason, look, to go back to that pastor comment or whatever, a while back, one of the posts, one of the comments uh, said, uh, the comment was like, this is why people are leaving the church when churches do. No, that's not the reason people are leaving church, in my opinion. I don't have any data. 
this is just my opinion as I watch the, the reason people are leaving the church is because the church is not being the church. They're not, they're not standing on truth and they're not, not willing to take the hit for standing on the truth. John, John seven, one of the things I brought out uh, in John seven is, you know, when you stand on the truth and, and you believe what Jesus believes, people ain't going to like you. And you just gotta, you gotta know that going into it. I mean, you know, we all want to be liked, but at the end of the day, what do you, what do you want more? Do you want people to like you or do you want to follow Jesus? And I hope our goal, my goal as the pastor of Valley Grove is to, is to encourage people to care more about following Jesus than just being viral or being liked or whatever, because at the end of the day, that's what's going to matter most. And to me, that's why people aren't, aren't, aren't connecting with the church like they once did. There's probably other reasons, but at the end of the day, the church has got to be the church. And look, and the church has got to be the church. And, and what I mean by that is, again, following Jesus and let the chips fall where they may. And, and, and you know, I mean, that that's that sounds harsh and, and, and may sound like callous. But at the end of the day, we've got to stand on God's word. Now, yeah, be gracious to people. Absolutely. Be loving and caring, compassionate, just like Jesus was to everybody. Pray for people you do like and you don't like. Pray, you know, Jesus says, pray for your enemy. Be kind to them. Do all of that. Absolutely do all of that stuff. I'm not talking about just going away and isolating over here in a little commune by ourselves and not talking to anybody and not, you know, sharing life and faith with people. No, no, that's not what I'm talking about. Do all of those things. Do what Jesus did. At the end of the day, we got to follow Jesus, period. Like, no questions asked. And let him handle the rest. He's the one who saves people in the end anyway, not us, not me. I've never saved anyone. I've just given people an opportunity to come to Christ. Absolutely. And so, you know, that's that's what we've all, I think, that's what we've got to do as Christ followers. And if we would do that in our little areas of influence, I think um, we could hopefully put a turn the tide of some of the moral decay in our society. Agreed. Or at least give people hope in the midst of it. Where can people follow you with your ministry at Valley Grove? We try to post, uh, we live stream every Sunday on our Facebook page, which is just, if you go Valley Grove Baptist Church, Thomaston, you can find us. Um, we live stream uh, the preaching part of our service every Sunday. Um and then we post uh, the audio of that sermon on our website at valleygrovechurch.org. Um, and so you can find us there. Uh, so really Facebook and, um, and our website are the two best places. We're not really on, we're not really on Twitter because most of our people don't use Twitter. Most of our people are on Facebook and um, we're not really on YouTube because most of our people aren't on YouTube. <laughs> So, uh, so, you know, we try to hit where they're at. So, uh, website and, um, and our Facebook page. We also have an app for our church, um, which you can find on iOS, uh, or the play store or, uh, app app store, which is, uh, you can just type in Valley Grove church, uh, Valley Grove Baptist church, Thomaston. And I think it's a blue icon that has a V and a G in it, just a VG, a white blue background with the white letters and all of our content gets on there one way or other. So um, like the sermon outlines. So I, I print out a sermon outline for everybody who comes or in the bulletins. Uh, they're on our, uh, you can get to them through our app. 
that's the only place those are located. All of our Facebook gets put through there, live stream, uh, any posts that we make about the church or anything. Uh, it all, all the content from the website gets, it gets thrown through the app. So that's one way you can connect with us as well. That's awesome. Well, we had a, this is a great conversation. Always, always. As we always do, we close with a prayer and I'm going to, I'm going to put it on you, Pastor Graham. Let's give us the prayer today. Oh, I'd love to, love to. All right, let's do this. Thank you so much for this full opportunity that each of us have every day to share the love and grace uh, and gospel of Jesus Christ with those we come in contact, Lord, whether whether we're uh, what whatever our vocation is, Lord, whether we're pastors or teachers or um, business owners, factory workers, coaches, doctors, lawyers, dentists, Lord, whatever we do and wherever we go, Lord, may we show people the love, grace and mercy of Jesus. Lord, uh, I'm thankful for Scott. I, I'm thankful every time we get to talk. Uh, just to see the growth and what you're doing in his life through his ministry. Uh, Lord, as he reached people uh, across the world uh, with message of faith and truth. And so, Lord, I pray that you would uh, continue to bless him, Lord, grow him uh, in his relationship with you. And, Lord, uh, I just pray that in the days ahead that uh, we would see many people come to Christ through the ministry efforts of the Bards Nation, and Lord, that uh, they would be influential in uh, changing the direction of our country, changing it back to one where you take a, a place of prominence and a place of priority. Lord, for all of us, for the people who may be listening to this all over the world, Lord, I pray that we would uh, we would center on your word. Lord, draw us back your word. Draw us back to Lord, because that is where you speak us through through your precious holy word. Lord, I pray that we'd be drawn to you in prayer, Lord, that we may lift each other around us up. Lord, I pray that we would pray boldly, Lord, without pretense. And Lord, I pray that uh, in your sovereignty and in your grace, Lord, uh, you would put us in situations and circumstances where we might uh, share our faith with you, Lord. Uh, Lord, for each and every person listening, Lord, I pray that you would or in their lives, they would be a mighty influence for you uh, in their area. Lord, specifically for the men, Lord, I pray that we would all have strength and be a man. Lord, that we would be leaders in our home, leaders in our families, leaders in our, our places of employment, in our group, in our circles of influence. Lord, I pray that we would follow you no matter what culture says, no matter what's fashionable, no matter what any group thinks or says, but Lord, we would follow you. We would follow your word, your scriptures. And Lord, I pray that you would give us courage. Lord, I understand that the enemy is out there and well, and Lord, that uh, the enemy would love nothing more than to take the men of the church out or cause us to fall into moral bankruptcy uh, Lord, or just apathy, but Lord, I pray that you would not, that. you would not allow that, that Lord, we would be people of courage, men of courage so that we could lead those around us to a place of greater dependency and following of you. And Lord, we love you. Thank you for all that you're doing hearts and lives. In your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Travis. Another great conversation, man. 
as always. Awesome. Always. It's good. Always. So, Love it. And I think we're going to be seeing each other here in a few weeks, which will be good. I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. That'll be great. Well, I, I wish you always the best. Blessings to you and, and Holly and, and, Thank you. and the family and, and the church. Um, it's, it's good stuff, man. We're in a good time. Awesome. We really totally. Are. Couldn't agree more. All right. Well, blessings to you, Travis. We'll talk soon. Thank you. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate it. God bless, man. Okay, bye-bye. Well, Patriots, obviously, that was Pastor Travis Graham. Great conversation. I really consider him just a, a, one of the top pastors in our nation, and he really does live what he speaks and is just down home and with everything he does. I just hope that was encouraging to you. There are great churches around, even in the midst of all this craziness, and he leads one of them. It's refreshing. So with that, I hope you have a very blessed evening. Keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God will always win. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We are at war. Walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you this evening for Fishers of Men. Until then or until the next time, God bless. And out for now. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. Every thoughtful citizen who despairs of war and wishes to bring peace should begin by looking inward by examining his own attitude towards the possibilities of peace. Too many of us think it is impossible. Too many think it is unreal. But that is a dangerous, defeatist belief. It leads to the conclusion that war is inevitable, that mankind is doomed, that we are gripped by forces we cannot control. We need not accept that view our problems are man-made, therefore they can be solved by man, and man can be as big as he wants. No problem of human destiny is beyond human beings. Man's reason and spirit have often solved the seemingly unsolvable, and we believe they can do it again. Surely the opening vistas of space promise high costs, and hardships, as well as high reward. So it is not surprising that some would have us stay where we are a little longer, to rest, to wait. But this city of Houston, this state of Texas, this country of the United States was not built by those who waited and rested and wished to look behind them. This country was conquered by those who moved forward and so will space. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept. The energy, the faith, the devotion, which we bring to this endeavor, will light our country and all who serve it. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country.
an old evil that has waited thousands of years to show its face. It has only one intent, to destroy God's light and to enslave. It has no scruples, it has no rules but one, to win at any cost. But we will never bow, for we are the remnant that will hold the line. This is war. We fight. We push. We climb. We never give in. We become the nightmare that evil didn't know could exist. We pray. We stand. We live by the words, in God we trust. We fear nothing. We are the light that can never be extinguished. We are patriots. We are the digital army that will help deliver God's wrath.